0: All right, we are going to uh, move into our second uh, discussion. So, covenant is not really uh, the kind of language that we use, perhaps, in our day and age. There are places you can find it, and certainly in Christian circles, uh, we run into the word covenant because we read our Bible, and it says things about covenants and whatnot, but it's not really a common aspect of our daily life that we perhaps think of. But in the ancient world, covenant was a normal uh, part of life, a normal part of culture. Ways of establishing relationships between nations, uh, between kings, between uh, the sovereign and the vassal, and things like that. Establishing a relationship by means of covenant was a normal uh, sort of thing. And this is not just in the Bible, it's in the surrounding culture as well. Uh, there's a lot of uh, study that has gone on in regard to the nature of covenant in uh, in the ancient world, the structure of covenants, the purpose of covenants, the, uh, the, what the outcomes of covenants and how they're used, etc., etc. Not just in the Bible, but in the rest of the world in the ancient Near East as well. And so when we come to scripture and we run across covenants perhaps for us it's a little bit new but for the people of this time and the people reading this when it's written this would have been a pretty obvious thing they would have understood the nature really of what is going on it would be a little bit like you know uh, us talking about needing to have something notarized well a few things just clicked into our heads about this being a legal thing that needs to be witnessed by someone who has been given uh, authority to recognize this, etc. Some things clicked into place because I said that we needed to have something notarized. Well, it's a similar kind of concept when you look at the aspects of covenant, the fact of covenant in the ancient world. And so we need to learn of that. We need to bring ourselves up to speed on those sorts of things and so because that's not our world. We don't deal... In, uh, in those topics like that. So we kind of need to play catch up a little bit. And, uh, and so um, we're going to look at covenants today, and particularly we're going to be examining the explicit covenants in Scripture. And uh, I talked about them last time. I went through and named them, and, and we talked about them very briefly. Um, but I'll give you a hint. We're going to go through and we're going to name each one the explicit uh, major covenants in Scripture and I'll give you a hint right off the bat, there are five of them. Okay, so if you can think historically from the beginning of the Bible, what is the first uh, explicit covenant that we run into working our way from Genesis 1 on? What's that? Adamic, Adamic all right. Now, you're, you're, I would say yes, though it's not as, as explicit as these others. I'm not correcting you. I'm just saying I was thinking of Noahic being the first one. We're going to talk about Adamic, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the Adamic covenant, right? There is some question in many corners whether that is actually a covenant. I believe it is. I believe we can demonstrate that it is, but there are are those who question that. So maybe I could put it this way. What are the five unquestioned major covenants in Scripture? What's the first one? Yell it out. Noahic. All right, so the Noahic covenant would be the first one, all right? No one disagrees with that. No one argues with that. Where's it found? Genesis 9. Hey, Genesis 9, all right? So uh, we read about the Noahic covenant in Genesis chapter 9, okay? What's the next uh, major unquestioned covenant in the Bible? Abrahamic. And where's that found? All right, it's going to be, it's actually 12, 15, 17. I'm going to write 15 and 17. There's a question whether that's um, how exactly that's put together, but when you read 12 and 15 and 17, you see God coming back to these same issues with Abraham, right? So that's the second unquestioned covenant, uh, major covenant in the Bible. What's the third one? Mosaic, and where do we find the mosaic covenant? Exodus, Exodus nineteen. Right now, it's not just nineteen; it continues on. They call it the Book of the Covenant from uh, from there till about twenty four of Exodus. But we really see uh, the initial elements of it spelled out in. Chapter 19, right before the Ten Commandments. Okay, so that's the Mosaic Covenant. What's next? Davidic Covenant. Where's that found? 2 Samuel 7, right? 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Davidic Covenant. Nobody questions that, right? It's a major part of the structure of the Bible, right? And what's the last unquestioned covenant, major covenant in the Bible? The new covenant, right? Where do we find that? Where do we find the new covenant? Tricked you. Well, I didn't trick you, but I caught you. Jeremiah 31 is, uh, is a giving of it. There are other places we find hints of it as well. Uh, the phrase new covenant is there in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. All right, so these are the explicit covenants that we find in Scripture, okay? Okay, and we're going to spend some time talking about each of these, but as we look at these covenants, what we're going to find is that they have some things in common. And as we look through the elements of these covenants, and we're going to, the remainder of our time tonight, is going to be spent mostly on looking through these passages to identify what are the common elements, right? And to see uh, what these covenants have in common. And by doing so, we don't just learn more about these covenants, though that's certainly the case. We begin to get an understanding of the concept of covenant in Scripture. We begin to see what the elements of covenant are in Scripture, different, uh, different aspects, um, uh, purposes, purposes, Uh, the parties involved, etc. We get an idea for covenant. And once we get an idea for covenant, then we're going to see that actually we will begin to see there are more covenants in Scripture than just these ones that that are not questioned. The Adamic covenant, for example. Right? We'll see that the elements are there, though the name is not. Right? So, these are the covenants. We're going to work through these. And before we get to these, I want to look at um, and consider for us what are the elements of covenants? What things do they have in common? And there's a lot of work been done on this topic. What, what uh, are the elements that go into making up a covenant? And, and a lot of ink has been spilt on this topic. I want to narrow it down to these four things that I think we'll be able to see in these covenants and will be helpful for us in understanding the concept of covenant. And not just because we're talking about an obscure topic, but as we look at this, we will begin to see that really the concept of covenant guides how Scripture is developed. And even if you think about your Bible is made of two parts, an Old and a New Testament, which is a Latin word translating covenant. Right. So your Bible is divided into those categories: Old Covenant, you know, Old Testament, and New Covenant, and New Testament. The first aspect that I want us to see that that uh, covenants have in common is there will be at least two parties involved, right, of a covenant. And uh, for our purposes, that's God and another party, or Parties, right? So there'll be at least two parties. That's the first aspect we're going to see. And as you think through just briefly, just what you know about these covenants, you can see that that's the case. Makes sense, and an agreement would have to have two people agreeing, right? Um, and so we've got that first part, which is the two and more uh, parties, two or more. Secondly, we have the aspect of stipulations. Okay. Stipulations, expectations. All right. So there's an agreement being made. There are different types of agreements that can be made. One is what's called a suzerain vassal treaty or the sovereign and vassal treaty. So it's a relationship between the great king and a lesser king. And the great king is blessing this lesser king with certain things, but he also expects things in return. Uh, he's he's got he's to remain loyal, for example. He's got to send... Uh, he's got to send payment, um, et, et cetera. And so you have these stipulations, expectations. Even if you've got agreement between, between peers, they're agreeing on something. There's some sort of stipulation back and forth, some sort of expectation. Right? And so we're going to see that these, we have these things in common even as we look through here. Thirdly, an aspect of this would be the presence of promises... Or sanctions, right? Promises would be the good things that are going to be given as a result of the covenant. The sanctions would be those things that are disciplinary, perhaps for uh, the stipulations not having been met. There will be certain sanctions, okay? We'll see that promises, sanctions, the presence of that category is consistent in this as well, okay? And then fourthly, and this one is not always the case, but you will have an oath sign being given. That's not always the case as we look across here, but the giving of an oath sign, like a, like a stamp, like something, to, something visible, something to see, something to remind the parties of the presence of the covenant. Now, you'll see that across the board nearly across the board. There, there are exceptions to this, right? But you see, uh, you see a sign of it. So we might, we might give the example of marriage, for example, right? We do have the idea of covenant marriage. That idea still exists even in our day and age, that marriage is a covenant, right? Are there two or more parties involved? Yes, there are. There's a husband and a wife involved before God, but these two, husband and wife, are are covenanting together in their relationship? They're establishing a new relationship? And are there stipulations? Are there expectations? There are expectations, right? There's going to be certain kinds of behavior. Leave and cleave, those kinds of concepts are present within the marriage covenant. And so there are certain stipulations. There are certain promises, right? In this relationship come certain blessings, and, and you and you make vows to one another when you stand up before the congregation and you say your wedding vows, you're making commitments, you're making promises to one another. As well, if someone completely disregards their end, there will be sanctions that can that can take various forms, up to and including perhaps divorce. Right? So there are sanctions. And is there an oath sign? There is. The wedding ring—that's in our culture. That's what we use as the sign of this oath. And so, you look at someone and you see the ring on their on their uh, ring finger, and you know, or that indicates to you, that they're married. Okay, and uh, and so we see examples of this. But you can see the basic elements of the covenant that are there. Okay. Any questions before we start working our way through these five covenants? All right, crystal clear. I like that. All right, so let's, uh, let's start looking through these covenants, and let's go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. If I could have a volunteer, please, to read nice and loud verses 5 through 7. And as you're reading, I want us to be listening for these four elements. Are they present in this covenant, this covenant that no one questions? If I could have volunteer verses 5 through 17, please. Mark Robertson, please. All right, thank you, Mark. So reading through the Noahic Covenant, and we saw um, uh, that whole uh, section there is laying out a covenant where God says, I'm going to make my covenant. Let's see if we can identify uh, what are these main elements within that Noahic Covenant. I think probably we can recognize them pretty easily, but who are the parties involved in this covenant? God? Noah, every living thing. That's a pretty broad covenant, right? And so we have God and Noah and all living creatures. Those are the parties involved. Okay? And so they're explicitly laid out there. There's no question about who the parties are. It's explicitly laid out. What about the stipulations? What are the expectations upon, particularly upon Noah, upon mankind in, uh, in this covenant? We started off reading them there in verse 5 and verse 7. So be fruitful is one of them. That's an expectation. What's the other one? Exercise just governance on the earth. Right? So you have there, whoever sheds the blood of man by, the man, by man shall his blood be shed. Right? He says that we are to uh, maintain justice, that we're supposed to be seeking that. We're supposed to govern the earth justly. And here's an example of that, particularly in regard to the area of protecting human life. Okay, And so that's a stipulation. That's an expectation upon us. Right? Covenant has been given. Do these things. Do this covenant. Uh, These are the expectations upon you, rather, for Uh, your role in this covenant. These are the stipulations being given to you. What are the promises or sanctions given in this covenant? Yeah, He's not going to destroy all flesh or the earth by flood again. That's the promise. That's the promise, right? And so this one is kind of unique because um, it doesn't really come with sanctions in the same way. We don't see those Uh, quite like we do in other covenants, but we have this promise being given, I'm not going to flood the place like I just did. Okay? What's the oath sign? The rainbow. rainbow. And so it says very explicitly there, when there's rain and 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 the rainbow comes up, that's a reminder of the existence of this covenant. To keep this covenant. By the way, it says it's a reminder to God, not because God forgets, but because He's the one responsible for keeping this covenant. Because the essence of the covenant is, I'm not going to flood you all again in the same way. And so you've got the rainbow is the sign. And so when you see the rainbow, you're reminded of the Noahic covenant. You're reminded of the promises that God gave. You're reminded of these elements here that are found in Genesis chapter 9. All right, so that's the first covenant. Now there's more we could look at. We could spend more time, and later on we will spend more time on each of these covenants. But what I want us to observe is the bone structure. What's going on here? What's under the surface? You have at least these four elements. Let's go on to the next one. Let's go to the Abrahamic covenant. And if I could have us uh, turn to Genesis. Again, uh, 12 and 15 and 17 go into uh, discussing the Abrahamic covenant. But I want us to read um, chapter 17 verses 1 through 10. If I could have a volunteer to read that. And once again, as we're reading that, you're listening for these elements, this bone structure that's present in the covenant, okay? So if I could have volunteer, chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. David, you got it. Uh through ten, please.
1: And God said to Abraham, After you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout for the aberration. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you, every male among you shall be circumcised.
0: All right. So Abrahamic covenant. And uh we see a lot going on in this covenant, extremely important in the story of the Bible. And as we look at this covenant, who are uh, the parties? God and Abraham and then his descendants included after him, right? So you've got the two primary ones, but then Abraham's descendants are a part of this. Uh, They're mentioned as well. So you've got the two uh, parties there and then uh, the descendants as well. Uh, What are the stipulations? What are the expectations uh, in the Abrahamic covenant? What is Abraham expected to do? Do what? What's that? Be blameless. Obedience, right? A life of obedience, right? So he is to walk blamelessly, uh, 17.1, walk before me and be blameless. Likewise, when we first ran across the first inklings of this covenant, back in chapter 12 and verse 1, Abraham was told, go. There was expectation, right? So there's expectation upon Abraham. Uh, Those are the stipulations. He's to go. He's to walk blamelessly, right? What are the promises or sanctions that we find? And we find hints of them in this chapter. You might have to think back to 15 and 12, etc., but what are the promises being made to Abraham? How could you sum them up? I heard rumbling, but I didn't hear anything else. Father of, father of nations, right? So there's, a, there's going to be offspring, massive offspring, including uh, becoming the father of nations, right? So there's going to be a seed blessing, right? Abraham, this old man, is actually going to be the father, not just of a child, not just of some children, uh, not even just of a nation, but really nations, right? So there's that kind of relationship. So there's a seed blessing or a a seed promise there. What are the remainders? What other uh, aspects of promise are there? Land, a promise of land, right? So there's a land promise. There's going to be a place. There's going to be a people, the seed, He will be their God, a unique relationship, a, 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 that he will be his God. He will be their God, right? And then as we talked about this morning, what was the thing Jacob was really after today? The blessing. And that blessing was promised back in chapter 12. We see blessing as a big deal. And, uh, and so that carries on that, that uh, there are promises being made to Abraham. And those promises are for a land, for seed for blessing and for a unique relationship. Right? There those are promises uh, being made by God, things he says he is going to do. Is there what's that? In the well you're bringing up Paul, right? Paul talks about it. Seed is a singular word that can be collective in in, in meaning. Paul is making a very particular interpretation on that. But seed Implies those things and is ultimately summed up in Christ Himself being the ultimate seed. But all of that is inherent in the promise itself of a multitude of seed as well as the one unique and special seed. Is there an oath sign? Circumcision. We have a sign of the covenant, right? The sign is circumcision. Okay, and so when we think about the Abrahamic covenant, we've got these things laid out as well elements of them there, and we could we could drill down a little bit more. But you see that these elements are present in the giving of a covenant. Again, the Abrahamic covenant, this one is uh, the least questioned in its existence probably in all the covenants of the Bible. It's, it's so structural in uh, so many ways for how the Bible is put together, and we see these four elements present there. All right, let's go on to the next one. Let's go to Exodus chapter 19. And again, we're going to come back to these covenants and spend more time uh, looking at them. What I want to do now is is do a run through quickly to see the elements present in them. To see the things they have in common. Exodus chapter 19. And if I could have a volunteer um, to read verse 2 through verse 6 of Exodus 19, nice and loud, please. Thank you. All right. So there we have the giving of the Mosaic covenant. And of course, it's developed further. Uh, they call the book of the covenant going all the way through um, the, the conclusion there in verse tw- uh, chapter 24. And so it's bigger than this, but you can see this is the introduction. This is the sum of the covenant. And we can find more detail by looking further on, but we're not going to find less detail. Okay. So we want to see what Uh, The elements are, I hope you paid attention to what they were as we were reading. Who are the parties of this covenant? God and the children of Israel, right? Chapter 19 and verse 3 gives us that indication, right? And so uh, those are the parties, God and the nation, right? Uh, What are the stipulations given? What stipulations do we have in this covenant? Obey, right? And it's going to get pretty detailed, pretty demanding, right? Obey and keep covenant, verse 5, right? Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, right? Those are the expectations, the stipulations. Obey and keep covenant, and here's all that's involved in that covenant, it's extensive, and in, in many ways it continues through the end of Deuteronomy with it being spelled out, with it being made clear. right? And so you've got, uh, you've got the stipulations laid out, obey and keep covenant. But what are the promises being made? And we'll get to the sanctions in a minute, but what are the promises being made? Particularly uh, verses 5 and 6. Yeah, so there's, there's this unique, this special relationship, right? You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is, this is what they can expect. Uh, these are part of the promises, the results of, uh, tied to their obedience. They will have this unique uh, kind of, uh, of relationship. This is the promise, Right? Uh, and we could look elsewhere and see in chapter 23 and verse 20, there's a promise for the land as well. That's repeated. We saw that in the Abrahamic, and we see this here in the Mosaic as well. The land blessing, right? That's repeated in other places. What about the sanctions? What are the sanctions? Now, you might have to turn a little farther abroad than, uh, than just this section here, but uh, if you would turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. This we will not read because it'll put us into tears. Plus, it's long. But if you see Deuteronomy chapter 28, and like I said, this is uh, this whole this whole giving of the law, particularly from Exodus 19 and on, we see is further development explanation of the Mosaic covenant. We have this uh, the blessings for obedience there in the beginning of 28, and they're wonderful. You're gonna flourish in the land and you're going to have tons of children and all kinds of wealth and your protection from your enemies and, and all these other things. And then what do you see in verse 15? My Bible has a very helpful little title there. Curses for disobedience. And boy, are they curses. Right? And it goes through and it spells out what's going to happen for disobedience. And it starts off like discipline does you know, the, the infraction is to this level, and so the discipline is to this level. And then when the, when the nation continues in, in unrepentance, then the discipline gets heavier. And then in the nation, when the nation continues ignoring even that, the discipline gets even heavier, and on and on and on. Ultimately, for them being driven out of the land, just being, being driven off, right? And so you have uh, terrible sanctions, all of the good stuff that you read about in the, end, the beginning of chapter 28 just reverse all of that stuff multiply it by 10 and that's kind of what the curses are right so the very strong curses for disobedience so we see those elements promises and sanctions contained within the mosaic covenant what about what about the covenant sign what about the oath sign If I could have someone turn to Exodus 31. You don't see it in immediate context. You see it developed later on. It's it's laid out uh, there not in, uh, in Exodus chapter 20, but it's specifically called the sign in chapter 31. And I'll read for us verses 13 through 17. You are to speak to the people of Israel. And say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days' work shall be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations, as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day He rested and was refreshed. So connected with the Mosaic covenant, you do indeed have a sign. And that sign, we often think perhaps that it's circumcision, but it's not. It's the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the sign for this covenant, right? Right? And so it begins to make a little more sense why Jesus had so much confrontation with his, uh, with his opponents regarding the topic of the Sabbath, because it's the sign of the covenant, right? So you see the presence of these, of these four elements again. And uh, there's a whole lot more to drill down into regarding the Mosaic covenant. But again, we want to see the presence of this, this bone structure, right, underneath uh, what's going on? We see these elements being present. Let's go to the Davidic covenant and go to Second uh, Samuel chapter seven. Second Samuel chapter seven. And if I could have a, a, a brave person read for us verses eight through sixteen of Second Samuel seven, nice and loud, please. Through uh, verse 16. Alright, thank you. So here we have uh, the Davidic Covenant. Who are the parties involved in the Davidic Covenant? God and David. Right. God and David. Okay. Uh, what are the stipulations? What are the expectations? Now you might have to look a little hard on this one. Well, that's 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 kind of come from it because David's not going to be able to even it's going to be Solomon who does it it's a, it's kind of implied here when it says he will be disciplined when he sins when he disobeys and you're going to see this with Solomon you're going to see this with the other kings in the davidic line right there's an expectation of obedience like i said it's a little bit implicit in there but there's this expectation of Uh, obedience because the son will be chastised for disobedience. So you can see that with Solomon. You can see that with the other kings, uh, right? And so there's an expectation of obedience. What are the promises and what are the sanctions? Promises are probably uh, easiest to identify. Sanctions are, it's a different topic with this. That's a different discussion with the Davidic covenant. But when we come to the promises, we see In verse 9, that God is going to give him a name. I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones on the earth. So there's a name. We see in verse 10 that there's a place. I will appoint for you a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they will dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. So there's a place. There's rest that comes with it. Violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. right? So there's rest that's going to come with it. From, uh, from all their enemies and there's a house or a dynasty verse 11 moreover the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house meaning a, a dynasty not a building that all, this whole thing started by the way because David wanted to build a building for God to live in and so God is building on that big time right and he says I'm going to make you a dynasty right And we see in verse 12 through 16 that there is a throne. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So we have the promise of a throne being established forever. That's part of the promise of this covenant, right? Right? And so we see some sanctions. We could summarize them that way. The, a great name, a place, uh, a rest, dynasty, a throne that's going to last forever. What is the oath sign? I don't think there is one. <laughs> I don't really think that th- th- there is one. Some people say that perhaps uh, the throne is the oath sign, but it's not, it's just not laid out. It's not clear. And that's one of the reasons why number four is like usually present but not always, right? And I and, and uh, I don't I don't think there really is an oath sign for um, this covenant. I could be wrong. I could be corrected. All right, let's lo- move on to the last one. The new covenant, Jeremiah thirty one, Isaiah, Jeremiah, going to chapter thirty one. And as I read this, I want you to be thinking about these elements. Try to identify these elements as I read uh, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand, To bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. All right, who are the parties to the new covenant? God? House of Israel, Israel. right? In one place he says, House of Judah, House of Israel. The next place he says, House of Israel, we could summarize. What are the stipulations? What, uh, What are the expectations Kind of inherent in there, but we're going to what's that? To die for their own iniquities? Their own iniquities? Be a stipulation of this one? I will put the law, so, the law. so I I think there's there's a connection there with the law being put in there. They will they will want to obey it. If we could if I could have someone turn to um, Ezekiel 36 and verse 27. Ezekiel thirty six is kind of a, almost a parallel passage. Ezekiel thirty six and verse twenty seven has some expectations there. Or some results. You'll notice I'm not saying conditions. A condition is a different thing, than an expectation. Okay. What are the what are the expectations? Uh, Ezekiel 36 and verse 27. Whoever's got it, read it out for us. Otherwise, I'll have to look for it. So the expectation is they will walk in His statutes. Now, you see there's an indication of what's going on behind that. I will actually cause you to do that. But there is the expectation that you will do that. So don't, don't hear me saying stipulations are conditions. If you don't meet this condition, the covenant is broken. That's not what I'm saying. There are expectations connected with the covenant. Right? And here uh, we have perhaps the clearest example because we know how this how this new covenant plays out. We know that actually Jesus, the, the one who institutes the new covenant, does so by spilling his own blood, by paying with his own life for the sins of his people. How is it that the people are forgiven? How is it that this covenant is established and ratified and and brought to fruition? Jesus does it all. And what is there for you and me? Well, we we believe, and those things become true for us. And now what is the expectation upon you? Well, we're going to obey. God works in our hearts. He takes out the heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh. He places His Spirit within us. He writes the law on our hearts so that we will obey. Now, is is my obedience the condition? No, but it is expectation. You see the difference? And so here when we talk about stipulations in this new covenant, we see that there are expectations that we walk in the statutes that we're careful to obey. And when we go to Ezekiel 36, we see behind the scenes uh, even more, and we see that God by His Spirit is working in the hearts of His people in the new covenant to cause them to want to obey, to write the law in their hearts so that they have a desire, a new, the law is no longer out there. It's in here motivating me. Right? There's a difference. But what's the expectation? Well, that I do the thing, that I walk in obedience. I don't forget all the stuff that went on behind the scenes, but there is still that stipulation that we walk in His statutes, that we are careful to obey. So what are the promises and what are the sanctions? We see clearly that there, there are stipulations uh, in this one, particularly in Ezekiel, we see that. But what are the promises? What are the sanctions? Promises, particularly. This one is unique. What are the promises? Nice and loud. Yeah, their sins are forgiven, right? The forgiveness of sin. What a promise, right? Their sins are are forgiven. We've mentioned already law within the heart. I've got them numbered in my I don't often write in my Bible, but I do here. Right? In, uh, in 33, halfway through 33, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. That is a promise from God that is an aspect of this new covenant. Secondly, I will be their God and they shall be my people. There is that close relationship that has been secured for us by what the mediator of the new covenant, Christ Himself, has accomplished such that all those who have faith in Christ have God as their God, and we get to be His people. Thirdly, no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know Me, from the least of them to the greatest. This is a distinction, I believe, That's uh, that's clearly spelled out here that in the New Covenant, every single member in the New Covenant is someone who knows the Lord and doesn't have to be taught to know the Lord. And then fourthly, I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. What a litany of promises. Those are the promises that are there in the New Covenant. What a blessing. I would like to spend more time on this, but I want to draw things to a close. What's the oath sign? You have to think beyond this book, beyond this paragraph, beyond this testament. What's the O sign of the new covenant? Baptism. Baptism. So when, when uh, Jesus, in giving His great commission, what does He tell the people to do? Make disciples and baptize them. He's the, he's the one who administers, He's the mediator of the new covenant. We see it being instituted uh, at the Lord's Supper there where he is, that, that last supper where he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. I'm doing it right now. It's being instituted. It's not a past thing, uh, or it's not a thing in, that you read about in the past that was future. I'm doing it right now. And then he sends them out with the message of that and says when you do that, baptize. So you have the sign uh, of the new covenant which is baptism itself. All right, so you see the bones, right? You can see the aspects there, and they were pretty well consistent. There were some things missing here and there as we looked across those major covenants, but you begin to see what the elements are, right? What do we learn about covenants in the Bible to draw things to a close here? Well, the explicit covenants in Scripture have several things in common, right? You see these elements here that we talked about, God and at least one other party are involved. You see stipulations being given. You see promises and sanctions included. And you often see an an oath sign being given. Okay? We see also, when we think about this, all of the major characters of the Bible are related to God by means of covenant. And I would argue that every person is related to God by means of covenant. One way or another. And so when we talk about covenant theology, what we're doing is seeking to examine the covenants of the Bible as the organizing principle of Scripture itself, the way God as the author of Scripture has chosen to unfold His redemptive plan throughout biblical history for us by means of covenant. And as we look through these covenants and as we we look at the other covenants that are not as explicit as these, we see a structure that God has given to the Bible to bring salvation to you and me to wrap things uh, up to the glory of God in Christ Jesus, that He has accomplished such great work that He has actually been in particular covenant relationship has Jesus with the Father. And He has brought that about. He has done the work connected with that. He has received the rewards of having completed that covenant, and you and I get to be brought into the benefits of that by faith in Christ. So that Paul will say in Romans chapter 5 that, that uh, we who are in Christ have those benefits that are His. They come to us. He did the work, He earned it. This was His agreement with the Father. He brought it to pass. We looked last week at John chapter 17, Jesus saying, I've done all of these things, Father. Now give me the reward. Glorify me uh, even now as I was before. I've, I've done the work, I, I, I want to receive my payment. And He does. His reward for having completed it and part of His reward for having completed it is you and me. That we are the redeemed people in Christ who are the inheritors of all of these blessings according to the covenant agreement made between Father, Son, and Spirit when there was no time. And so that's the purpose of covenant theology is to understand that structure, that covenantal structure of the Bible itself. And I hope tonight has been helpful in this regard. Next week we will Uh, continue on, and we will use and recognize these elements uh, to help us understand uh, the layout of Scripture more broadly than we've done so far. All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you that uh, you have given us your word, that you have communicated truth to us, and not just random true things, not just true things that might be somewhat important or curious to us. These are true things that have directly to do with our own redemption that we who uh, were born in sin and gladly walked in sin left to ourselves would continue nothing but a life of sin and ought to pay the penalty for all eternity for our sin. People like us, we get to have life in Christ. We get to walk in, revel in, rejoice in, celebrate in these blessings that are ours because of what Jesus has done for us. And so we are grateful that Jesus keeps His covenant, His end of the deal. We're grateful that you keep your covenant, your end of the deal. And we are so grateful that we get to be included in that by faith. And so our our salvation, our expectation of reward. Our inheritance is kept in heaven for us by you. We rejoice in that. I pray that you would help us as we study your word, as we read your word week in and week out, as we uh, hear it preached and taught, that we would think about this concept of covenant and see just how all-pervasive it is and how it helps us understand this salvation that we have. We are grateful for our Lord Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant to us, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.